Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to the book of Genesis once again. Genesis 35, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. It's page 29 in the Blue Pew Bible, Genesis 35. Hear God's holy word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves. And change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they, uh, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. One of the great things about our God is that he is a God of turnarounds. 
He's a God who works turnarounds for his people. We see that so often in Scripture. Think of the book of Esther as one of the prime examples of this. You know the story, and all through that story, uh, it's, uh, it's a bad scene. It's an evil plot unfolding against God's people. The enemies of God's people are out to destroy them. Haman is in the lead in crafting this plot to destroy all the Jews. And just when it looks like everything is going his way and he's about to succeed, God turns the whole thing around. And that evil man, Haman, that enemy of God and his people, ends up hanged himself on the gallows that he built to hang Mordecai, the Jew that he hated so much. And instead of the Jews being destroyed, as uh, was the plan hatched by this man, they were allowed to defend themselves, and they won a great victory over their enemies. Such a beautiful story. And that's just one example of the, the great miraculous turnarounds that God performed for his people in the past. Here in Genesis 35, we see God doing something like this in Jacob's life. Chapter 34 showed us uh, a real low point for Jacob. That wasn't one of his uh, better moments. We saw in that passage the rape of his daughter. And then we saw the vengeful mass murder committed by his sons, her brothers, to avenge her. And none of that would have happened were it not for Jacob settling in a place that he shouldn't have settled. He settled in Shechem instead of going on to Bethel, where God had called him to go. He, it seems, fell into temptation to uh, think that he could do better in Shechem. Uh, Possibly he thought that he could make more money there at that crossroads for trade. And so he compromised, and he settled down there among those Canaanite people. And so that rape of his daughter and that bloodshed by his own sons was really on his hands. It was really his responsibility. But he didn't take responsibility for it. We don't see that in the passage. And not only that, but he came off looking like a pretty bad father, like a very unloving father, and a father with very little strength to discipline his children. He showed no compassion for his daughter, for one, after that rape. And then when the brothers commit this massacre, he barely corrects them. And what he did have to say was only because their actions had made him look bad and had made things, or he thought that this murder would make things harder for him in the future. The people of the land would come after him because of that. 
So Jacob is not looking too good in that chapter. He's at a very low point spiritually. But really, Jacob, in this way, reminds us of ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves. He has his high points, and then he has disastrous low points. And it reminds us that we are all still sinners like him. We still have that old sinful nature within us. We still need God's forgiveness. We still need so much to grow spiritually. We need to mature spiritually. We could be doing very well one day, growing in grace, and then we fall the next. Thankfully, in this passage, we see that our God performs turnarounds in our lives. When we're at those low points, we see that with Jacob here. We see his turnaround as he begins to walk in new obedience with God. And that really is entirely by God's initiating. It's very sad that it took such a horrible um, crisis and trial, really a catastrophe, um, to get Jacob back on track. But that's really what we see here. He had, he had settled down in a, in a place that he had no business in. He had united, united himself with the Canaanites, and, and it seems all for selfish gain. But in God's providence, that union with those Canaanites was now broken up. He wanted to stay put there, but now he can't. Now it's impossible for him to stay there. They had to get going. They had to move on, and God was, was moving him on. God in his providence. But how sad that it took a, it took a horrible event, like we saw in the last chapter, to get Jacob back walking in the path of obedience. On the other hand, the whole thing was really a blessing in disguise. Even though it was a horrific evil, God meant it for good. God does that with our sins, with our trials, with the worst evils that come into our lives. He works these things together for his glory and for the good of his people. And this is just another example of that. It's an example of how God uh, works to correct his people. He works to chasten his people. He disciplines those he loves. And he does that for our good. He does that to change us. And he does it to, to bring us in line with his will, to make us like his son. He does it so that we can be blessed. And that's good. That is a very good and hopeful thing. That is God's motive for working that way in our lives. Even when he has to correct us, chasten us. He's doing it because he loves us. He's doing it because he wants the best for us. Let's look at this turnaround in, J in uh, Jacob's life, beginning in verse 1. God said to him, Arise. 
Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from Esau. Just the fact that God comes to Jacob here and speaks to him again is incredibly gracious. Very gracious God was to come and address Jacob like this. Jacob had really blown it. He had really regressed and sinned at Shechem. And even before that, you remember in his dealings with Esau, he was deceitful in the way he spoke to Esau. Like, I'm going to follow you. I'll be right behind you, Esau. He had no intention of following him, and he didn't. He went the opposite direction. But God didn't forsake Jacob. Even though he was in such a bad state, God comes and deals with him very graciously. And he calls him back to obedience as well. He restores Jacob after his fall. This reminds me of how Jesus came and so graciously restored Peter after his three denials of Christ. Jesus restored him, and he called him back to obedience and to service. It's similar here with Jacob. Even though he had messed up severely, God gently restores him. God's still with him. And God calls him back to faithfulness. That's a beautiful picture of God's grace toward us. His grace that he holds out to us every single day as believers. We're still sinners just like Jacob. Yet God doesn't forsake us. He forgives us. And yet he also calls us to renewed obedience. Let's never forget that. The two go hand in hand. Forgiveness and the call to obedience. And we see Jacob's response next in verses 2 and 3. He responds to God calling him to go to Bethel. He said to his household and everyone with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us go up to Bethel. Jacob responded here in faith and obedience. He finally, we see him finally standing up and acting like a, like a godly leader for his family. He stands up and he takes responsibility as the head of that family and as the head of the covenant. And he leads them in repenting. It's kind of a shock to see that they've got all these idols with them. You'd hope for better, but that's, that was the case. And he calls them to get rid of those things. He tolerated them. He surely knew about them and tolerated them in his family and, and with, among his servants before, but no more. Now he says, we've got to get rid of these things, these false gods. Purify yourselves. And of course, Bethel was 
was where he was supposed to go before the Shechem mess. And it was the same place that he vowed to return to when he was fleeing from Esau so long ago. You remember that instant? Uh, he had that great vision of the stairway or the ladder uh, ascending up to heaven with the angels ascending and descending on it. That was Bethel. The name means house of God. There's something very interesting uh, about this. Jacob coming to this place. Years later, hundreds of years later, the people of Israel would come to this place. After the Exodus, Joshua would lead the Israelites into the Promised Land, and they came to Bethel. And it was there that Joshua told the people uh, in very similar words to consecrate themselves and to turn away from their idols and to serve the Lord alone. It's as if they really were reenacting this incident with Jacob. They were. And both events are really a foretaste of what God calls us to do today as Christians. He calls us to repent and to turn away from our idols so that we can serve him and him alone through Jesus Christ. We are idolaters no less than those people of old. Calvin said our hearts are idle factories. We just crank them out like an assembly line, constantly making new false gods that we will love and serve. And they're not the silver and gold and wood idols that these ancient people worshipped, but our idols, idols of the heart, idols of this world are no less tempting. We worship the things of this world too quickly, created things instead of the Creator. Anything that you worship that is not the Creator, the triune God, that is idolatry. We worship money. We worship material things. We can worship people. We can worship um, security. You name it. Search your heart. What is it? The idols of your heart that you bow down to. Well, God calls us to make use of the things of this world that we need, things like money, other human relationships, material things. We need to make use of those things appropriately as we need them, but we're not to love them. We're not to worship them. We're not to um, be enslaved to them and serve them. We are to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, and strength. That is what we were made for. And that is the best kind of life for us who are made in his image. We were made to love him. Our hearts were made for that. 
and they don't work when we're setting our hearts on other things. Recognize the greatness and the glory of the true God, people. And know his great love for you. Know his love for you through what his son has done for you. And forsake your idols and serve him alone. Serve him in the new freedom and the new obedience that he enables you to live in, in Christ. In verses 4 and 5, then we see how God blessed Jacob's obedience. First of all, his family also uh, obeyed this command. They gave Jacob their foreign gods, uh, his servants as well. They gave them up, their rings in their ears, and Jacob hid them or buried them under the, this tree at Shechem. And in verse 5, we see how God blessed them. And this is beautiful. We read that as they journeyed, as they made their way from Shechem to Bethel, going through the land, a terror from God fell upon the cities of the Canaanites that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Isn't that incredible? A terror from God fell upon all the inhabitants of that land. God was protecting this family. Remember, this is what Jacob was so afraid of. He was so afraid that the people of the land would retaliate, that they would band together when they heard about what happened in Shechem and how his sons had killed all those men. He was concerned that they would attack him. And, and really, it is a wonder that they didn't. It's a miracle that they didn't. And this is why they didn't. Because God saw to it. They could have easily outnumbered Jacob's little band. But the Lord put this wall of protection around Jacob and his family as they made their way to Bethel. The Canaanites were terrified of them. They were afraid to touch them. And this tells us something about our God. He is faithful to take care of us. He's faithful to protect us and to bless us. And we don't need to fear man or any enemy. We just need to focus on stepping out and obeying the Lord and what he calls us to do. Too often I think we're hindered in obeying the Lord because we're fearful of something. Maybe we're worried uh, about how people might respond to us negatively if uh, we're too open about our faith or uh, we witness for Christ. We shouldn't live in fear like that. We need to walk by faith in God and do what he calls us to do. Whether it's repenting of our sin 
or sharing the gospel or standing up for the truth and telling the people around us what God's Word says about any given subject, even though we think they might not like it, and they may not, and they may fire back at us. But we need to obey God and not man and not worry about what happens. We can trust that God will take care of us. He won't leave us on our own. He will bless our efforts as we seek to trust in him and obey him. So the family arrived at Bethel. They made it. And we're told Jacob built the altar. And he called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him. So the whole family gathers and they worship the God of Bethel. They offered sacrifices, joyful worship. This is a very significant moment. Remember, again, Jacob had vowed to return to that place, and he was fulfilling that vow some 30 years later. He had vowed to return there if God protected him, if God would be faithful to him. And God certainly had been. He had proved more than faithful. And more than anything, this, this event, this, this moment, this worship event is all about God's faithfulness to his promise. God is in the business of keeping his promises. He keeps his word. Just as he promised to bring that, uh, that man and his family back to that place, he had done so. God's faithfulness. That should be a great encouragement to our faith. When your faith feels weak, you need to remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Don't focus so much on your faith, but on God and his great faithfulness to his people. The God that we trust in is more than worthy of our trust. He is altogether faithful. What he says, he will do. And so we can have confidence, full confidence, in his every word. Now we have this little uh, comment here as the passage unfolds, uh, seemingly a random little comment about Deborah. Well, this is the death of a beloved servant, Deborah. Deborah was a nurse to Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And so she's been in this family for many years. We don't know how she ended up with Jacob and his family, but perhaps after Rebecca died, Isaac sent Deborah to go and be with Jacob and his family and help them. That's probably what happened. In any case, she was with them, and she was beloved. And her death now made this a bittersweet time. They've returned to the promised land, they've returned to Bethel, but they've lost this dear friend and servant. She was greatly loved by two generations of this family. And her name was honored here in Scripture for all time.
And next in verses 9 to 15 here, Jacob um, again meets with God. God again appears to him. But this will be the last time. And God renews his covenant with Jacob. That's what he does over and over again. You see it over and over again here in the book of Genesis. He instituted his covenant, and then again and again he appears and uh, renews it. He reminds his people of it, encourages them, and strengthens their faith by reminding them of his promises. And here he reminded Jacob of the new name that he'd given him, Israel. God says, in essence, this is who you are now. People may still call you Jacob. They may remember you for the kind of person you were in the past. But in my eyes, you are Israel now. That's a beautiful thing. That is how God deals with his people. God no longer looks at Jacob and considers him to be that old deceiver that he was before. God's grace has changed him. Now he's a man who knows God. He's a man who seeks to follow God. He's a man who wrestles with God. And he's a man who has a God who fights for him and remains faithful to him. And this reminding Jacob of his new name That should remind us of the new relationship that we have with God and Christ as believers. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, God has given you a new life. You still have the old sinful nature in you, yes, but that is not your identity any longer. God has credited the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to you, believer, and when he looks on you, that is what he sees. And that is who you are now. You are one who is in Christ. You are a new creature in Christ. You are God's child in Christ by God's grace. You no longer belong to the world or to the devil or to your remaining fleshly nature. You belong to the Lord. He's blotted out your past, and he has a glorious plan for your future. Think of how God, how gracious he is to us. Jacob still, again, we've just seen him, revert back to living like the old Jacob, living like the old man rather than the new. Again, God still graciously related to him by this new name. And it's the same for us. It's the same for you. You and I lapse back into our old ways all too often. If we're honest, we would confess that. But God still calls you 
by the new name that he's given you. He calls you by your new identity as his child. But again, of course, he also calls you to renewed repentance. He never stops looking at you as his greatly beloved child. And he always sees you clothed in the perfect purity of Jesus Christ. And he encourages us in that way to repent of our sins and to walk with him in new obedience. And then God blessed Jacob with some familiar sounding words here, very much like the words that he spoke so long ago to Abraham. God said, and we read it in verses 11 and 12, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. This is the Abrahamic covenant promise being reiterated over again. It's been passed down now to Jacob and to his offspring. This great, precious promise. How much better is this great promise that God gave, this promise of the land, than Jacob's pitiful attempt to try to buy a little chunk of land at Shechem where he didn't belong. This was God's plan. God's plan was so much better than Jacob's plan. And that's how it is with us. God's plans are so much better than the plans that we may make and devise for ourselves. Jacob's descendants would multiply greatly. They would possess this great land. But also, more than that, we're told that kings would come from Jacob. And this, of course, is a prophecy of kings to come in the future, King David, and the kings that would come from David's line. But ultimately, it's about one king. It's a prophecy of King Jesus and his coming. And so these were great, great promises indeed that were being made here and uh, restated by the Lord. These are promises that God ultimately kept and fulfilled by sending his son into the world to be our savior. Well, then this encounter was over, this divine encounter. God went up from that meeting. But this great blessing of God would continue to his people, to Jacob's family, and to their offspring, the nation of Israel, and even up to this very present day as God continues to bless his church. 
through the power of his Holy Spirit and by his word. We are the children of Abraham as believers in Christ. And that's what we're doing here as we gather as the church every Lord's Day to worship the Lord. We're coming to be reminded of and strengthened by God's word and receive his blessing. We hear the gospel of God's grace over and over again. And what is that, the gospel? It's that old Abrahamic promise fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The promise is now fulfilled in the good news of the gospel. And that good news is what builds up our faith. It's what strengthens us. It's what kindles the the fire of devotion in our hearts. It strengthens us to obey the Lord. It encourages us to live for him in the light of his love and his grace. That's the way we come together and seek to worship the Lord. And that's exactly what Jacob did here. After hearing from God like this, he set up this pillar and worshiped. Jacob has come a long way from where he was spiritually back 30 years earlier when he first met God at Bethel. All those years ago, God never gave up on him. I can't help thinking that maybe Jacob was pondering that in this place as he worshiped God, marveling as he worshiped him, that God had never forsaken him. God has been faithful. It may be the same for you and I. May you keep coming back to worship the living God and to marvel at his amazing grace toward you and his great faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Lord who continues to keep his promises to you and me, even that ancient promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories of Scripture. We thank you for uh, what we see in this passage. Uh, We see in Jacob uh, uh, a picture of our own hearts, our, our sin, our inconsistency, the need for us to grow and to be transformed into your likeness. But what a comfort it is also to see your constant faithfulness and your steadfast love for him, never leaving or forsaking. Help us to know that you are that very same God for us. You're constantly caring for us, providing for us. You are worthy of all our trust. And you will bring us all the way home to heaven, our heavenly promised land. 
And we pray these things in your Son's name, in Jesus' name, amen.